Well, there's been some good news for the Mascot Tower residents this week with the government stepping in with loans for accommodation. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I edit the Flat Chat website. And I'm Sue Williams. I'm a property writer and journalist. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. interesting last week on our podcast you were saying that the new south wales government really should step up now they've done something is this good enough well it's god it's huge i mean it's uh, they've stepped in they've offered a, an interest-free loan to the residents through the owners corporation based on the number of rooms uh, that people have been living in so that they can get accommodation paid for um, i think it's something like 150 dollars a night if you've got one bedroom apartment 200 if you've got two two bedroom apartment and you know people have been sleeping on friends floors and staying at the salvation army and um, emergency accommodation in the local town hall so that's got to be great news for them absolutely so how does it all work how does the new system work well the new system is that the government has loaned the money for accommodation to the owners corporation and i guess people claim it back through them which, I, I mean, I'm not sure what the nuts and bolts are, but it does mean that people can go and check into a motel or, or something like that. Well, it's got to be better than you know sleeping on mattresses on the floor. Right. And where's the government getting the money from? Well, that's an interesting thing because uh, I spoke to somebody from Fair Trading just yesterday and they said that they're taking the money from the accrued interest from rental bonds. I mean, there's a lot of money. When you think of all the rentals in New South Wales, all those bonds, that money sits in a bank account. It accrues interest. So they're kind of seeing it as free money. They're saying it's not coming out of the budget because that money is not spent because theoretically it's got to be Right, given back again. But that's where the, the money's coming from. Okay, initially. and it's, it's going to renters and owners, really. Yeah, the legalistic side of it is that the owners corporation has a duty to look after owners and tenants through their landlords. If the landlords had to pay for this emergency accommodation, they would come back to the owners corporation and say, this is your problem, you've got to refund me this Mm. money. So what they're doing is stepping in and saying, well, look, let's not kid ourselves. There's going to be a lot of money that the owners corporation is going to have to pay just to find out who's responsible. Right, absolutely. So the government, the idea is that in the end, they'll find out who's responsible and claim the money back. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, what they've said in their announcement this week was that this is an interest-free loan that is there until such times as they establish who's responsible, and then they'll they'll take the money back. Ah, but who's responsible? I mean, the difficulty, I think, in this case is that um, the building is how many years old? Is oh, it's uh, 11 years 11 old. Year, so everything's out of warranty. The developer isn't trading in any longer and the builders have no ongoing duty of care. So what happens if they can't find out who's responsible? Well, this is the interesting little twist in this story. The uh, government spokesman I, I was speaking to says that everybody's been assuming it's building defects and they're thinking now that it's not necessarily building defects they think that some other issue outside the building has acted on the building um, to to undermine literally undermine the building so it was built to standard it was built to code theoretically but they had not anticipated that something else was going to happen it's if you imagine i mean it wasn't an earthquake but if you imagine a building has been built 
perfectly well and then an earthquake comes along and, and things start falling apart, you can't say that was a defect in the building. It was an earthquake. So in this case, they're saying there's other issues with other buildings, potentially, that have caused this. So it wasn't a building defect. Is that to do with the tunnelling underneath? Uh, there has been some speculation about the water table. Land everywhere, to some extent, has a water table, has a level of water underneath it. And you start digging down and putting car parks in, it's like pushing a bottle into a basin of water. The water in the basin is going to rise up a bit to accommodate. Oh, right. So it kind of floods other buildings, basements kind of thing, theoretically, potentially. Theoretically, but then everybody's aware of this. It's it's not some magic new thing that, that <laughs> that's just come up. People have been aware of this for literally hundreds of years. So what they do in the, the approved design of the building, any building in that area has to accommodate that rise in the water table and through an environmental a, report well it's just not just an environmental report it's actual planning that you, you would say look there's going to be ingress of water so we need pumps and things like that to mm. take the water away to bring the water level back down you might assume that this building the mascot tower had done all this that it wasn't a, a problem maybe it was maybe it wasn't let's assume that it wasn't a problem when they it was built but then another building comes along and then another building and another building. And if those buildings aren't built to code to deal with the water table, it could affect all the buildings round about. Oh, my goodness. So in that situation, it could either be the other buildings at Ford. Well, it could be. I mean, you're talking about Mascot, which is very near Botany Bay and a lot of marshland around there. It could be that they've underestimated where the water table is, or maybe the water table has changed. But what they're now saying is there's a very good chance that it's not a building defect, and there's a very good chance that they can find someone else to apportion the blame. Maybe they can, maybe they can't. It's all very speculative at the moment. Right. So the blame could be spread over quite a lot of people, really. It could or it could be one specific building. I mean, we know that the, the building next door, there was people have been saying that building has already caused them a problem in other areas, and that could be specifically where it is. But at the end of the day, there's always a possibility that they cannot find anyone specifically responsible. And what happens then to all these people who've borrowed this money from this interest-free loan? Will they have to pay the money back themselves? Well, the, it's the owner's corporation who borrowed the money, so the owners, through the owners' corporation, theoretically will have to pay the money back. But the noises I'm hearing from fair trading are that it's at the government's discretion whether or not they uh, ask for the money back. So this loan could actually be some kind of a donation, really. Oh. Okay, and that would be fair, wouldn't it, really? Because the New South Wales government has accepted all that money in stamp duty. and it... <laughs> Yes, but it's also a potentially awkward precedent. Ah, so if anything like this happens in future... Yeah. I mean, they were at great pains to, to point out there's a difference between the Opal Tower and the Mascot Tower, because the Opal Tower is new and it still comes under warranty and the developers and the builders still are responsible for making good the defective work that was done there. And now they're even saying that the Mascot Tower may not even be a building defect. So this is very different. But there are older buildings out there, if, as we have theorised, on this very podcast 
that there's going to be a, a generation of buildings that were built with, under self-certification where corners were cut or even they just pushed the envelope a little bit in terms of design and if a lot of those buildings start coming up with defects then there's going to be a queue of people outside fair trading saying well where's our interest-free loan that's right because i remember buildings in bondi were all kind of sinking because it was a very sandy soil that they were all sitting on yeah and they were actually having to pay for themselves obviously to prop themselves up yeah they might now in future I mean, depending on what happens with this case, they might start looking at newer buildings and saying, well, you guys have built here and you've affected the well, base possibly. on which we were built. Yeah, I mean, they call it the sinking fund, or they used to call it the sinking <laughs> fund for Very a reason. Funny. Well, no, seriously, I believe it came from Britain, um, the houses that were built, or apartment blocks that were built on top of old mine shafts. They had to have a fund in case the building started to literally started to sink. Right. That's what I've been told. That's where sinking fund comes from. It's not called that anymore. It's called the... The down the sink fund. Yes. Okay, <laughs> Down good. the drain fund. <laughs> well, with the water table, maybe it is. So, and the other aspect of this, and we'll talk about that in a minute, is if you're going to give them an interest-free loan for what may or may not be defects, what about flammable cladding? And we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, we're back. Yeah, the whole issue of flammable cladding comes into focus uh, with this interest-free loan, which may turn out to be a grant uh, from the government. I mean, they're telling us, and this, uh, this applies to Victoria as well, they're telling us that uh, flammable cladding, it's a matter of life and death, it's got to be fixed, no question. It's the owner's corporation's responsibility if the building is more than six years old, which the majority of them are. There's something like 550, 600 buildings in Victoria are affected. There's more than 400 in New South Wales. That's a lot of buildings that have this dangerous cladding. Sure, and in Victoria, I mean, they've taken a a stance much earlier than in New South Wales, haven't they, by offering people um, loans to, to help them get rid of the cladding off their buildings? Yeah, and that's interesting because they, the way they, they set up the system was that the local council would offer the loans and they would pay, get it paid back through the rates. Right. But I read just the other day that uh, as of February this year no strata scheme in Victoria had taken up this offer. Wow that's incredible why would that be? Well part of it might be that they are hoping to get somebody else to pay for the like the developer or, yeah. yeah and the other aspect may be that the council has to agree if the government can't tell the council they've got to give the loan they've said we will give you permission to do this so maybe many local councils are saying, no, we can't afford it. Yeah, or we don't want to get involved. And and it may be that some of these buildings are trying to keep it very quiet that they've got this problem. And, and knowing what local councils are like, you know, they leak mm. like sieves. You know, they just don't want to go to the local council and say, we've got this problem. Because as soon as that news gets out, then property prices just plummet. So that's a really problematic scheme, isn't it, really? Yeah, and I wonder if they're now looking at what Fair Trading have done at Mascot Towers, because they have rental bonds as well, and they're gaining interest on those. Mm. And they're thinking, well, maybe this is an, a thing that we could be doing. Uh, we've got the money. We're telling people this is a matter of life and death. We're telling people they can't delay. 
we're threatening in some cases people are being threatened if they don't fix it they could be liable for fairly hefty fines so maybe this is the other side of the this is the carrot rather than the stick so maybe this will be a good template for all these kind of disasters in future really um well you'd think so i mean personally i think the government is responsible or the the state governments in both states are responsible for the legislation that allowed builders to put flammable cladding on the building. At some point, you have to say, you allowed this to happen, you created the laws, the laws permitted people to do this, so the government has to take responsibility. And as you have said, on the other hand, is they take the stamp duty. Mm. They don't mind taking money from the, the building. And it's like it's like a protection racket. You know, if you... If you're paying protection to gangsters and then somebody comes and smashes up your business, you go to the the gangsters and say, well, where's my protection? <laughs> so in this case, the protection racket is not working because the governments are not fulfilling their, their side of the bargain. I mean, it, it could even be as extreme as saying any building that has flammable cladding that needs to be replaced, refund the stamp duty. Right. Give everybody the stamp duty back. That would be a good incentive for government to really clean up their laws and the restrictions and the the priorities around buildings, wouldn't it really? Absolutely. Look, there's a whole new building code coming up uh, in New South Wales, coming up for discussion, and there's a, some sort of white paper about to be, or a discussion document about to be published. But uh, the person I spoke to at Fair Trading, I said, what about defects and the future of defects? And he said, well, very soon we're going to have all the stakeholders in and we're going to sit them down and we're going to tell them they have got to sort this out. And if they don't, we will sort it out. And they might not like our plans for Mm. fixing things. Well, it would be fantastic to see some kind of action on this because we've had so many inquiries. I know lots of different stakeholders in the industry have given evidence for various commissions over the years and nothing ever seems to happen you know, there have been a few advances over the years, but not nothing kind of really, you know, root and branch. No. It really needs something, a big overhaul. There always seems to be a way around it. The developers as a group are very good at finding holes in the law and, and trying to exploit loopholes. And if they're not phoenixing their companies, disappearing overnight and reappearing with the same directors doing the same job from the same offices, but with a different nameplate on the front door, Mm. then they're going to court and arguing that uh, they can't be held liable because of some wrinkle. I mean, the reason that the builders have no duty of care is because they went to court and said, look, the owner's corporation didn't exist when we signed the contracts to build the building, so how can we have a duty of care to the Mm. owners? Mm. Which is ludicrous, because, but you know, there's no chain in the law of responsibility. And that's what it comes down to. If there was just a law that said you are responsible for the work that you do or the work that you have done and you have to look after the people who pay for that, that you always knew you were going to sell the, the building, the apartments to, um, it would make a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, when we're saying that developers you know, try and find loopholes, we're talking about bad developers there because there are good developers around. And it's very hard for them because... 
The bad developers tend to push down all the, the prices and they exploit loopholes, their costs yeah. go down. Yeah. So it's really hard for the good developers to compete. And, that, and that's a real problem because we want to encourage the good developers and get rid of the bad ones from the industry. And I agree absolutely 100% that the, there are good developers and they, they would love to have an even playing field where other developers were having to play by the same rules that they've chosen to play by. The problem is that they are not making those noises. The developers are not saying to their industry, we have to raise our standards. And you know, it could be as simple as a star rating system. You have buildings that don't have defects, there's been no problems, or the defects have been fixed quickly. You start, everybody starts with five stars. But as soon as you're having problems, you're being taken to court, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose. If your owners are having problems with your product, then those stars start to diminish. And then buyers can look and say, well, this developer is a five-star developer, and this developer is a three-star developer. The three-star developer buildings are cheaper, but am I going to have problems? And mm. then the market will drive up the quality of buildings. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. It'd be nice to see that. I know years ago the Owners Corporation Network were trying to organise a kind of rating system, but yeah. I don't think it ever happened. Well, the, it's the a very difficult thing to do. And the problem is a corporation can't sue for defamation unless the comments affect their business. So you could have a developer saying to the OCN, you've made us three-star and we think we're five-star, so we're going to sue you. Yeah, and and of course the owners' corporation network doesn't have the money mm. to to take on big developers. Yeah. So it would be up to the development industry themselves to take the role in this. Take they the really, lead. yeah, they need to step up. They mm. really do. Mm. Uh, when we come back after this very short break, we're going to talk about stuff that's been on the forum and uh, has caught our eye in the past week or two. That's after this. It was interesting on your forum, there was a woman who was complaining about washing. And I, I mean, we've had lots of complaints about washing over the years, washing being visible from balconies. Yeah. And then, then it now it doesn't really matter so much about washing being visible from the street, that kind of thing. Yeah. People seem to have it does, it does, calmed down about that. Well, bit. some people have. <laughs> yeah. I heard just recently in our building that uh, somebody was saying, how can we stop the people across this, the way from putting washing on their balcony? Oh, good grief. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but this but this was a, a different kind of washing issue, wasn't it? I think the woman um, who, who was writing to, to your flat chat column was saying that she has a problem with perfume. She's very sensitive to perfumes. Yeah. And the laundry that her neighbours were putting out on their balconies the smell of the laundry detergent was yeah. really affecting her, yeah. which is something I'd not heard of before. But, you know, these days, lots of people are very, very sensitive and yeah. they have a lot of allergies, that kind of thing, which we yeah. never used to have in the old days. Yeah. But is this kind of a new problem? Well, obviously, uh, you know, some people are sensitive. I mean, I've heard of some offices where they have a no perfume day. So people are encouraged to turn up, don't put the deodorant on, you know, um, don't put too much perfume on, all that kind of thing. No, don't. Put well, I think they can put perfume. deodorant on, but it shouldn't shouldn't have a well, smell. Yeah, highly <laughs> scented de deodorant. So people, there's a recognition that some people are sensitive to it. There are also some people who are incredibly insensitive to the needs of other people. I, mean, I was on a plane recently where we're just coming into land, and this woman came out of the bathroom, and then she stood there and sprayed herself with 
some sort oh. of cologne. And the people around her are calling out and covering their faces. And, and she's looking at them going, what? what's your problem? It's just cologne. But, you know, there's all sorts of chemicals in, in these things. And you're right, there's a greater incidence of allergies uh, and sensitivity to these things than there used to be because we've spent 50 years being subjected to an assault of chemicals in our lives and in our food that people just didn't have in the past and it's created these sensitivities. So yeah, so this poor woman, she complains about the smell from the laundry and rather than cutting down or doing anything about it, the people who were doing it started doing it every night rather than just a couple of times a week. Oh no, deliberately? Deliberately, she oh. thinks, she thinks. Gosh. And so she was asking what can she do about it and basically there's a law that says you cannot do anything in your lot or in common property that causes a nuisance to other owners and then you've got to define nuisance. Now currently the law defines smoke from smoking as a nuisance. I think if she was able to prove that she had an allergy, actually go to a doctor and get a line and say she's allergic to these these chemical scents, then she could basically go back to the owner's corporation and say, look, this is a nuisance as defined by law. Either can you get them to not put the washing on the balcony or can you get them to use non-allergenic washing liquids, mm. which do exist. Absolutely, there's, there's yeah. There's a huge number of them. Even Omo do one. Oh, okay. And I would imagine she'd be happy to, you know, put a bit of money towards it, really, you know, because they're much more expensive often than, than regular laundry detergents. But yeah, yeah. If it's that bad a problem, I'm She I'm could sh- buy them the yeah. laundry liquid. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if the problem was that serious, then, then that would be a reasonable yeah. thing to do. And it's hard because with apartments, I mean, they're, they're very strange. Like in my bathroom of my apartment, I can sometimes smell perfume and I never wear perf- perfume. So it's obviously coming from another bathroom above or, or below. Wow. But it's actually quite pleasant perfume, so I don't really mind. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't like perfume no, generally. No, no. But it's kind of, it's weird with the way apartments are constructed, really. You never quite can tell. Washing causes so many problems in apartments. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if a big truck came round every Monday, took away all our washing, and yeah. then came back on the Wednesday yeah. with it back? Oh, another issue that's come up is the uh, question of revolving door tenants uh, in adjoining apartments. And in this case, somebody's written in and said that they got used to the changeover of tenants every six months or year or whatever. Um, and it takes a couple of weeks for the new tenants to get used to the way the building works. So you don't use your washing machine late at night, you don't vacuum it late at night. But now the, the tenancy has changed so that it seems to be like maybe it's a company bringing workers through and they're changing every two or three weeks. They never get a chance to find out the rules of the building. They probably don't particularly care about the rules of the building. The people upstairs are going, oh no, it's another banging doors situation, mm. another washing machine situation. So you could know, their owner's corporation pass a bylaw to stop these short-term rentals? It's, it's tricky because it seems like it's not a short-term rental. It seems like it's one tenant who is kind of subletting the apartment to other people. They're letting people stay there. Is that a subtenancy? Mm. What I've suggested is that they get the owner's corporation to say, you didn't register these tenants that came in, and you oh, have right. to do that under yeah. strata law. Yeah. So we're going to fine you, and the maximum fine is $550. And then the next time it happens, they do it again. Now, what would happen is that it would have to go to tribunal anyway, 
and the tribunal would decide whether this was a subtenancy or not. I mean, you'd hope that the company would be put off by all those fines yes. to stop having yes. these people in all the time. Well, the thing is... Or give them a letter every time they came in and said, these are the rules of the building, yeah. please abide by them. Yes, sometimes taking people... Because you have to go to mediation, first of all, and often people will hire lawyers to represent them and then just the expense of defending a case can be enough to make people rethink what they're doing mm. but it does seem to be desperately unfair mm. you know that you've got this they will say well look we've got the tenancy we can do what we want with it but you're living in a community you can't do what you want and on that note somebody in our community is drilling and banging and um i might just uh, leave this week's podcast <laughs> while i go and check which part of strata law i can use to make their lives a misery <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> well nice to talk to you again jimmy and to you sue thank you very much there's another hammer blow to <laughs> to our careers literally If you enjoy listening to these podcasts, you can subscribe completely free of charge on iTunes or other podcatcher software on your devices. That way you'll get fresh podcasts delivered directly to your phone, tablet, notebook or computer as soon as they are posted. Please give us a rating, especially if you like the pods, and we love it when listeners pass on the podcast to family, friends and colleagues. The more people who listen, the happier we are. And if you want to know more about apartment living or have specific questions you need answered, please go to flat-chat.com.au. I'm Jimmy Thompson. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again next week.